Happy New Year. I think today is the last official day you can say that. Happy New Year. If you're new and don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. I am part of the preaching team here during our transition at Meadows, and it's an honor. These words that Jim just read, that Jesus spoke, would have been shocking for those that heard. One of the good things about expository preaching, and that's what we're doing, is we're going through the Word, and I love it. I have grown to love it more and more because you don't get to pick and choose. We're jumping back into Matthew after a little sabbatical as we went through Advent and we were in Luke, and we jump right back into this passage. And we don't get to pick and go, "Ah, let's keep going, go go past that. These are harsh words, but they're words that these people needed to hear. They're words that we need to hear because they're words of warning. Imagine if this morning you woke up and smelt smoke and as you suddenly realized your house was on fire. And you went to wake up the kids and say, kids, you've got to get up. You've got to get out of the house. And they're like, ah. I'm too tired. You would say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There's a fire. You need to get out of the house. And they go, they're teenagers maybe. Ah, just another half hour. Come on. At that point, you'd be like, you have to get up now. And I think Jesus is saying that. These are words of warning spoken in love, but they sound harsh because they're so important. And I think these are words of great hope to those who have ears to hear. And so let's pray as we come to the word this morning and ask God to give us ears to hear these words of Jesus. Father, we come to you. We want to set aside any distraction in our life right now. Things that might be grabbing our, our minds for attention. Father, I pray that you would help us to set those things aside, to focus on your word, to focus on these things that you said, Jesus. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond to these words. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was asked by a friend if I would be willing to go to court on his behalf. He had gotten himself in a little bit of trouble and had to do some things. And he was going to be out of town. He had finished up the stuff that the the court had required. And he said, it's all been worked out. All you have to do is take the paperwork before the judge and have him sign off on it. And for whatever reason... I said, okay. And so I found myself sitting in court waiting for my turn. Now, this was, this was really out of my league. Like, I'm not used to doing this, and this was all interesting to me. And I'm waiting, and the judge finally calls his name, and I stand up, and I go up there, and he says, are you so-and-so? And I said, no, Your Honor, I'm Mark. Um, I'm here in his place. And the judge said, What? This is unacceptable. I don't know what, how did you have any idea that you could come for him? Where is he? He needs to be here. And I thought, whoa, whoa, 
I, I did not sign up for this. These words caught me by surprise. They shocked me. And luckily, fortunately, his lawyer stood up and said, Your Honor, we have worked this through, and it was approved that Mr. Barnes here would bring the paperwork so that you could sign it. And he said, Oh. And they had a little conference, and then the judge said, Okay. And I went, Oh, I thought I might be going to jail for a second. I think these words that Jesus is speaking today in this passage would have caught these people by surprise. He denounces or condemns three cities in particular. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and he separates Capernaum. These were three cities located on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus spent most of his time preaching, teaching, and doing miracles. And so he is saying to them, listen, you think you are God's people. You are the children of Abraham. But let me tell you something. It will be more tolerable for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom than it will be for you on the day of judgment. I think about what I heard that judge, and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I think these people will go, hang on. I think some would have been shocked. I think some would have been angry because, you see, these three cities were known for their wickedness, the evil, the pride that went on there. These were three Gentile cities. And you are saying that us, the people of God, the descendants of our father Abraham, will be treated more harshly on the day of judgment Then Sodom? Sodom. We all know that word, Sodom. Hang on. This morning, I, I don't want to go into the history of these cities. There's a part of me, I, you know as I preach often, I like to give background so we get a better understanding of what's going on here. And I thought about that, but I think there's, there's something more important here that we, we need to talk about today. But just suffice it to say that in these people's minds, these would be like the most wicked, terrible people that God was saying. They will be judged with more tolerance than you. Imagine if you came this morning and said, hey, I'm a good person. I try to do what's right. I'm, I'm honest. I come to church. I'm very religious. And somebody said to you, understand you will be judged harsher than fill in the blank. Whoever you think is the most wicked, vile person or group of people, and they said, yeah, God's going to judge them with more tolerance than you. That's the way these people would be receiving these words. We'll get a glimpse of maybe why Capernaum is kind of sectioned off separately. 
That's what they're hearing. And so the question this morning is, so what is their great sin? How come Jesus would say that God will be more tolerant to these wicked Gentile cities than to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum? What was their great sin? Well, in order to know, I think we have to back up a year. Where we started a year ago. We started in the book of Matthew. And you remember that Joseph was told that his wife Mary was going to have a son. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and she would conceive and bear a son. And Joseph was told, you are to name his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. The Messiah, the one that is coming to save his people from their sin. Okay. As we entered Advent this year, we were in the, the Gospel of Luke, and we, we read about this son named John, right, of Elizabeth. And, and, and he was call, told to call him John, and this special child was going to be born to, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he does. And he goes out and he baptizes. And what's his message to the people? In preparation for the Messiah, what's his message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the, he- the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew, he uses the term kingdom of heaven because he's a Jew writing this for Jews, and that's how they would have said it. They, they don't want to say the word God or write it because they hold him in such high esteem. But the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, we're told that John is arrested, and from that time, Jesus moves to where? Capernaum, where he begins proclaiming this message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Huh, I think we've heard that before. If you had to sum up what was Jesus' message, I think that would be it. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the question is, what is the kingdom of heaven? And we've alluded to it. We've spoken about it before. But it's not some place some distant place in the distant future. It is any place where God's supreme rule resides. Unhindered. God rules completely and totally unhindered. Jesus said to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a picture of the kingdom of heaven where God rules supremely. And in, and in Jesus Christ, We see this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. In Jesus, everything he did, he did by the will of his Father. He only did what the Father desired. God's rule reigned supremely in Jesus. 
everything he did in these cities, the preaching, the teaching, and the miracles demonstrated the kingdom of God to these people, demonstrated that he truly is God incarnate, the Messiah. If you remember, it's the passage just before this. It was before Advent, so it was back in November. John the Baptist, who is in prison now and has been there, he, he sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus and says, John wants to know, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another? I don't know about you, but John being alone, thinking, thinking, this isn't the plan, is it? I know he was struggling, and he wants to know, Jesus, I I know I saw the Spirit descend on you when I baptized you. I know, but are you the one? And here, I love love Jesus' response. He didn't say, yeah, tell him I am. He gives him a picture and he says, hey, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And what was that? Listen to this. He said, tell them, tell him, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are clean. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have had good news preached to them. What would this have told John? Uh, Yes, yes, you are the one. You are the Messiah. All of these things point back to Old Testament that was declared, this is what will happen when the Messiah comes. You are the one. You are God incarnate. So, what was the great sin of these three cities? Were they opposed to Jesus? Did they say, we need to kill him? We need to stop him? We need to thwart his uh, efforts to preach and teach and to heal? No. That wasn't it at all. There are the Pharisees, and they do do that, but that's not what Jesus is condemning here. What was their great sin? It was the sin of apathy. It was the sin of not repenting. They had seen and heard it all. If anyone had no excuse, it would be these people in this region. Why? Because Jesus had done all of these things in these cities. They probably either knew someone that had been healed. They had listened to Jesus. They had heard about what he had said. It was a buzz in this area. You have no excuse. They loved what he was doing. What he was providing for them. The healings. This was amazing. The teaching. They've never heard anybody teach with authority like this. This is amazing. But it didn't cause them to repent. 
They loved all that Jesus was doing. They were hoping that maybe he, if he was the Messiah, he would change Israel's role in the world. But they didn't want to change course and follow him. So why do these words have great hope? You might have read this. I've asked a few, like I would ask all of you, every week, look where we're at. It's in the blog before the week, during I think Thursday it comes out. Read that, start reading that, and just let the the scripture soak in. So when you come in, you're like, what are you going to do with this? I think there's great hope in this passage. And I didn't read that when I read it through the first few times. But the more you read it, you realize there is great hope here. And why do I say that? Well, because of how I see God respond to those who do repent. I want to take us back to the Old Testament. To the wicked city of Nineveh. God calls Jonah and says, Jonah... I want you to go and warn the people of Nineveh. This was a giant, wicked, Gentile city. I want you to go and tell them I'm about to bring about judgment on them and destroy them. But I want you to warn them and tell them they are to repent. And of course, Jonah says, you bet, I'm on that. No, if you know the story, Jonah goes, "Uh uh-uh. And he heads in the opposite direction. And through a few details, God seems to get his attention and convince him he should probably go. Involving a large fish. And reluctantly, Jonah does go. And he says, it says, he walks through the city. And it's a huge city. It takes him days to walk through. But as he does He says, God's about to judge you. You need to repent. And you know what? They did. It says, all of the people said, we need to repent. The king said, everybody, we need to repent. How did they repent? Sackcloth, ashes, fasting. The things that that Jesus said these other Gentile nations, cities would have done if they had seen what these Jews had seen. Here's why I think there's great hope, because I see what God does to Nineveh as a result of their repentance. And here's the funny thing. Jonah is not happy. Jonah was angry at God. He said, because I know who you are. I knew you would do this. That's why I didn't want to go. I know who you are, God. Listen in Jonah 4.2, how he describes God and in his anger. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh God, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
Why do I think these words that Jesus is speaking are filled with great hope? Because this is the God who responds to repentance. This is a God who says, I don't care who you are or what you've done. If you listen to my message, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Respond to my son Jesus. I am gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's why I want you to repent. I want you to feel all of this because that's who I am. In our D group, our discipleship group, when we study the word, some of the tools that we use are we go, what, what was this saying to these people? When it was spoken or written, what was going on? What was it saying? But then we also go, what, but what does that say to us? And what do I have to do with this? How do I need to respond to the word? And so this morning, I, I want us to respond to the word. I want to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you feel like you're living a victorious life in Jesus Christ right now? A number of years ago, we were rewriting our church constitution and we were talking about membership. And one of the things that we said we desire in our members is to live a victorious life in Christ. And you know what? People went, whoa, 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 time out. No, no, we can't put that in there. If that's a requirement, we said it's not a requirement. That's a desire that we live victoriously. And people, a lot of people, maybe you're one of them, said, if that's a requirement, if that's what we're trying for, I'm out. I can't be a member. I don't live a victorious life. We have, as followers of Jesus, His Spirit indwelling us. We have His Word showing us His desires, who He is, and calls us to follow. We have the ability through prayer to step into the presence of Almighty God, to communicate with Him, to know the desires of His heart, and we do it among other believers that we can walk together and encourage each other. I'm not saying we should live a perfect life. We are fallen and broken. But I believe we are called to live in victory in Jesus Christ. And as I've been studying for this sermon, I've been convicted. And here's what I think. I think the biggest hurdle in not living a victorious life is because we don't repent. Like if you look at the Bible, if you look at Jesus' message, like that's foundational. I see it in my own life. I see it in the lives of those I walk with as brothers and sisters. Let me ask you if this sounds familiar. 
the path that we often take. We'll be living life, and then something in our life comes up, and it seems like, whew, that, that's, that's kind of a big sin. It's big enough that it causes you guilt and shame. You're like, ah. Can I suggest that we don't wait for big sins? But anything that breaks our relationship with God is something that we want to confess right now. But often we we wait till it's big enough to get our attention, right? And so then we confess it. And let me tell you, that's a beautiful thing. 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus Christ, he has died not only to take our sin, but to give us his righteousness. No one can take that. The evil one wants to tell us that's not true. You know who you are. You're no good. You know you will do this again. Come on. Who are you fooling? And yet, we are called to confess. James says to confess to each other and be healed. That's the community. Confession is a wonderful, needed thing in following Jesus Christ. It's not something we do once, and then we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a believer. Glad I don't have to do that again. No, it's ongoing. But here's the thing. Here's where I think we lose the power that God offers in living a victorious life. We stop there. We confess, we agree with God. This is not something you desire This violates who you are, God. And I admit that. And I ask for forgiveness. And I am forgiven. And then I continue on the same path. What is repentance? Because I think that is critical. What is repentance? Well, in the Bible, you see repentance in the Old Testament and New Testament, in Hebrew and Greek. And I love the combination of the words. In Greek, it means a change of one's mind. Greek is more logical, right? Like changing of your mind. That leads to action. The Hebrew word means simply to turn around. You change your mind. You turn around. It's not an emotion. Sometimes I think we bank on emotion. Sometimes confession comes from emotion. Maybe we're having communion. And that that time before you partake, you ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Is there something that violates you, God? Something I've done that I need to confess? And often in that moment, I hear, hey, and there's emotion there. Emotion is not bad. And I confess, but there's a decision that needs to be made, and that is repentance. It says, I am going to decide in the power of the Holy Spirit, only because he enables me to change my mind, my thinking, 
I am going to turn from this. Repentance is about surrender. I love that word. It's surrendering our will to God's. That's, that's a simple picture of, of, of repentance. Just going to surrender my will to God's and I'm going to turn from mine to his. It leads to a response. So often we're people like, oh, grace, grace, absolutely. That's the only thing that has saved us. And yet, we are called to follow Christ. And in that grace, we follow Jesus. John, when he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. People came to get baptized, and you know what they asked? What do we need to do? And John said, hey, if you have two cloaks, and you see someone not without one, give it to them. Hey, if you're a tax collector, don't take more than you need. Don't take more than you should. It's called fruits of repentance. Repentance comes with action. This morning, I told Drew, I said, most of you know I teach more than I preach. I feel like I'm a a teacher and not a preacher. And there is a difference. I've grown to understand that more and more as I've preached. But I wanted to do something that would help us get a handle on repentance. This is, this is something that stuck with me for some time. God just kind of showed me and opened my eyes. I thought, okay, I come back to this over and over because it's a picture that I, I always remember. I love potato chips. When I buy a bag of chips, I buy the little ones. You know why? Because I will eat the whole bag, whether it's this size or a little one. So I go, okay, I better buy the little ones. But on occasion, I asked my wife to buy this one just for today. Occasionally we might have a small group or something, and guess what? There's a bag of chips left over. Oh, no. I love these. (laughs) I'm not even going to eat one now because I I might not be able to talk. But I love chips. My son-in-law goes, Dad, you, you, you like the variety. You get all these weird chips. I go, I know. I love them. But you know what? Somewhere along the line, I went, ah, probably not the best thing for me. And I feel convicted. Now, I'm talking chips, not sin, but I, I want us to connect this to repentance. And so I say, oh, I, I need to put these away. And I put them in the cupboard. You know what happens? Yeah, within minutes, right? Ah, get the chips out again. So maybe I really feel convicted. And I would say that this is like confession. Like, I agree, these these are not good for me. Especially if I know I'm going to eat this whole bag. It's not good for me. I am not proud to say that on more than one occasion (laughs) 
I've realized that the inside is still clean. Right? That's confession without repentance. I know, I agree, and yet I still am going the same way. You know how I have victory? You know what? Right? I am done. And, it, and if that doesn't do it, if that doesn't do it, I need to take that out to the garage or I need to take that back. I need to get rid of it. Throw it. Get it out of my life. I know at that point I have never gone back to that. I mix it in with the grandkids' dirty diapers and coffee, whatever. Like I mix it in. Why? I am done. I am turning around and leaving that. I think that's a picture of repentance. I think too often we confess, we agree with God, and then we leave it there. And we wonder why I struggle and I'm losing, and I keep going down the same road, probably because we're still going down the same road. And listen to me, I'm going to talk about sanctification. This doesn't mean we will never sin. Trust me, I'll buy another bag of chips, okay? I'm not saying chips are sin, but they're not good for me. But I hope that helps you get a picture of what repentance looks like. So what does it look like? What does it look like? Well, first of all, I think we, Drew talked about being people of the Word last week. As we enter into this new year, are we people of the Word? How can we know what Jesus calls us to if we're not in the Word? We have to be in the Word. We have to let it soak into us so that it becomes our DNA and we desire what God desires. We have to be people that confess. Confess to each other. Confess to God. That's why, you know, in our discipleship groups or small groups, that's the place where we go, we have relationship I need to share some things with you and ask for your prayer. I might need accountability. I might you, need you to speak into my life and go, hey, Mark, last Sunday, that interaction with your wife was, seemed a little off. <sighs> speak truth into me. Do I need to hear words where I need to confess? I need to confess now. When, as we, um, we experience things that don't align with the kingdom of God. We don't go, oh yeah, I, 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 I kind of lost it there. I have a short fuse. I got angry. I said things I shouldn't. No, you know what we need to do? Stop. In the middle of a sentence even. And don't go, yeah, tomorrow I'll have to ask for forgiveness from them. Stop in the middle of a sentence. You go, ah. You know what? I'm sorry. This is not what the kingdom of God should look like. I'm going to ask your forgiveness. The more we do that, the more we will start to see it and respond to it, and God will be changing our hearts. That's confession. 
We need the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't about white-knuckling it and trying to be better and work harder. This is about surrender. And we need repentance that leads to action, fruits of repentance. Don't stay there. Sometimes we're like, okay, I'm walking this way. Ah, repent, and we turn. And we're like, okay, I'm just going to try to keep this stuff at bay. That's not what we're called to. We're called to pursue Jesus Christ and all that is a part of the kingdom of God. Think about it. Getting rid of whatever it is that takes you that way. Get Jesus said, if your eye offends you, what do you do? Gouge it out. Your hand, cut it off. Those are, you, you are listen to what he's saying. Whatever, in this repentance, turning away and getting rid of whatever is taking you down that path. Think of the rich young ruler that encountered Jesus. And Jesus, he comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus didn't say, Sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, and then you will have eternal life. I think we read it that way a lot, but that's not what he said. Because he didn't say, Oh yeah, stop doing this. Oh, turn around, now just sit there. Be miserable because you gave all your stuff away. Jesus said, sell all of your stuff. Give to the poor and what? Follow me. That's the action. We repent and we follow. Like I said, this isn't perfection. This isn't one time deal. I think so often as followers of Jesus, as we do this a long time, we go, oh yeah, I did that. This is daily, hourly if necessary. Shampoo bottle at home says what? Wash, rinse, repeat. Right? That's what we're called to in repentance. Confess, repent, repeat. Confess, repent, repeat. That's how you follow Jesus. I love these words in 1 John that John wrote about this. I think this sums it up so well. Don't feel defeated. Don't let the evil one speak lies that you didn't really repent. Repent again. Turn. Follow Jesus. Listen to these words from 1 John 2, verses 1 to 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
These are great words of hope, even though they're words of warning. Jesus could say, keep going, do it, doing what you want. But judgment is coming. Instead, he says, come, repent, follow me. And here's the beautiful thing. Westminster Confession of Faith. One of the questions in there says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in it, he said as a young man, he got to a point where he thought that you can either glorify God or pursue happiness. And that was pulling him apart. Do I know I should glorify God, but everything in me wants to pursue happiness. Maybe you're experiencing that or feeling that today. He said everything changed when he realized that in glorifying God, we find happiness. They're not separate. They are the same. Pastor Tim used to say, for God's glory and for our joy. So true. Well, let me finish just saying that you notice Jesus was calling out cities. Cities, like the buildings? No, no. The people in those cities, but they, he saw them as collective, corporate. We are called to repent as individuals, but we are also corporate. Revelation talks about the church of here or the church of there. Well, we are the church in Rolling Meadows. We do this together. We repent together as individuals and corporately. There are times when, when as an elder I realize like we have missed the boat on certain things and you, we can't just go, whoops. We should have been making disciples better. Whoops. No, no, that's one where as leaders we said we need to, we need to repent. We missed it, God. And we want to turn. We want to aim in that direction because you are there. As, as a corporate body, we're called to repent. I would encourage us, let's do that together. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm just going to be quiet for a minute. Let these words of Jesus sink in. Have they spoken to you this morning? Do you need to repent? Do you desire to start the journey of confess, repent, and follow let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning for a few minutes, and I'm just going to close in prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be stirring in our hearts. You are our teacher, our counselor. You are the one that opens our eyes to truth. 
even truth in our hearts that we don't want to see. Jesus, I am so grateful that in our sin, you love us so much. You didn't say, get yourself clean and then follow me. You said, no, repent. You can't make yourself clean, but I can. Come to me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are, your compassion, your mercy, your love, and your justice. I pray you'd be doing a work in us, through us, so that we can be victorious people following Jesus Christ together for your kingdom, for your glory, for our joy. I ask these things in Jesus' name.